This is Damon Albon, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, number one gorillas podcast in the world. Hello, and welcome to a very special pledge drive for Hallelujah Monkeys slash the Patreon Keys Club. I'm not totally sure how we're going to be introducing this, but. I am uh, one half of Howley Monkeys, Trevor Ickrath. The other half, Dylan Flynn, could, unfortunately couldn't join me today, but never fear because I have honorary Howley Monkey uh, host of One Hit Wonder, One Hit Run, host of One Hit, <laughs> host of One Hit Wonders of the World, and star of our latest Howley Monkeys live episode, Maxton Stenstrom. Hey Maxton, welcome back to the show. Certainly not Dylan Flynn. No, what are we here to do today? We're here to talk about giving. Hallelujah, monkeys, your money. We're here to get that coin, you know? A lot of people may know, you know, as we've talked about at the end of every Hallelujah Monkeys episode for the past however long, uh, we have a Patreon that you can uh, donate however much money you want to. And some people do that, and we're very thankful for uh, those people. So thankful that we actually run a kind of second show, the Patreon Key Club, where we review albums specially selected by those of our donors who donate a certain dollar value a month. And what Dylan and I kind of wanted to do now that we've completed the first season of the Patreon Club, uh, which took place over the last year, is open up submissions again to people who might have albums they want us to review. You know, So I thought real quick we would go through the tiers of the Patreon Club um, I'd explain what it's all about, and then, as a way to entice people to maybe get on board, we have a specially selected episode of the Patreon Key Club that I'm going to play in its entirety, featuring uh, Dylan and I discussing an album submitted by one of our listeners, To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. Oh, it's a goodie. It's a goodie. I mean, the secret is that that they don't want you to know is that Patreon Keys Club is actually better than Hallelujah Monkeys uh, somehow. I think it's a really fun show because we're a little more in, in, uninhibited. You know, we get to talk about kind of like uh, whatever we want, not just guerrilla stuff. And I mean, shit gets personal. It does. You know, we've done episodes about like uh, we've done episodes about Blonde by Frank Ocean where we kind of got into our personal details and we talked about some fun stuff on our review of uh, uh, Vicious Delicious by Infected Mushroom. Those are all classics. Oh, that was fun. But the episode that our current donors all kind of came together and voted on us to release to the public is, yeah, our, our coverage of To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. And it is a pretty good representation of the kind of deep dives we go on with the Patreon club. Possibly their magnum opus as far as their episodes go. It's a really good one. I, th- I think we, we really got to the heart of that record. So if you are interested in hearing that, or, you know, you'll hear it at the end of the episode. If you're interested in hearing more episodes like that. And interested in contributing a episode. You can go to patreon.com slash monkeys with a Z and lay down some cash. Let's talk about what will get you what. Money, 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 money. If you donate $1 or more per month, you will be an official Patreon Geese Club member. Ooh. At that level, you get access to our exclusive monthly Patreon Club episodes which we try to release the 23rd of every month. We're not always super great about hitting that target, but nobody's seemed to mind. Be honest. So Be we're honest. just going to keep doing our thing. <laughs> if you donate more than $5 or $5 or more, uh, you will be a Patreon Keys Club president. Because what's better than being the president? If you donate that much, you will get to pick an album for us to 
give a track by track review treatment on in an upcoming episode. You know, just the way we just the way we've done track by tracks for every Gorillaz album and you know, collaborator albums, you'll get the same treatment for whatever album you want. Isn't that exciting? We do have a couple rules like uh, no double albums and no albums by official Gorillaz collaborators because of course we'll talk about that on the main program. But uh, if you've got something that you think might be a little sketchy when it comes to the rules, just shoot us an email or something. We'll talk it through and we'll come up with a solution. Uh, but the excitement doesn't end there because if you donate 15 or more per month, that'll qualify you as a Patreonkies Club sandwich. Because what's better than a sandwich? Now, I'll tell you what's better. It's not only getting access to those episodes and getting to submit one for yourself, but if you pay $15 or more, you will get to Skype in for a segment on your episode. And you'll get to talk to us about the album for a little bit and you know maybe give us some insight as to why you chose that one or what you want us to cover oh fuck it cool yeah and i mean like what's 15 dollars a month that's like going to chipotle once a month so instead of that instead of getting a burrito come on the show pay 15 dollars come on the show pay five dollars command the show pay one dollar get in on the secret and max you're you've listened you you're a i, th- I think you're currently a five dollar donor so you'll be recommending us an album coming up soon you've heard all of the uh you've heard all the episodes that we've done so far th- for the patreon club do you want to maybe just say some nice things about us i i mean these episodes are getting wild y'all they're doing some kind of hilarious surrealist world building that you wouldn't expect on top of already just articulately passionately delving into these albums sometimes masterpieces sometimes a little less than that sometimes you know torture yeah speaking of world building if you ever wanted to know what happened to the uh the wheel we used back in our rarities roulette episode you gotta you gotta tune into the patreon club to find out mm-hmm. max you talked about the wide range of albums that we've covered as part of the uh patreon club so i thought i'd just list them out to let the listeners know what they would be getting if they choose to donate that's right just to give you an idea of the records we've covered Uh, We've done, if you donate $1 or more, you'll get access to episodes such as uh, Yeezus by Kanye West. Good one. Black Holes and Revelations by Muse. The Fury of the Aquabats by the Aquabats. That was our first one with a listener contribution. That was fun. Good. You'll get to hear us talk about uh, Quebec by Ween, which was great. Mouth Silence by Neil Cicirega. We talked about Vicious Delicious by Infected Mushroom, like I mentioned. That was That's one of my favorites. That one was one of my favorites, too, because we actually played the album in its entirety and talked over the entire <laughs> it's thing. great. So good. I already talked about Blonde by Frank Ocean. We got into that. Don't Smile at Me by Billie Eilish. Speed and Bullet to Heaven by Kid Cudi. That was a real marathon to get through. Like I said, torture. Sam's Town by The Killers. And we closed the last season by reflecting on the last David Bowie album, Black Star. So if you're interested in listening to me and Dylan chat about any of those, head to patreon.com, Monkeys with a Z, and uh, donate $1 or more, and you get the whole batch. Your boy might pop up in there from time to time, too. I don't seem to remember you ever actually showing up on the show, but uh, people are just going to have to donate and listen to see what I mean about that. But I guess that leaves nothing left but to uh, play the episode I've come to share with everybody in hopes that they will kind of get on board. We'd love to have you in the Patreon club. We think we do great work over there, and we think you'd like it too. But hey, you can judge for yourself by listening uh, to this episode of me and Dylan talking about To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. Like I said, if you like it, head on over to patreon.com slash howlyoumonkeys with a Z and join the club. Please join us. Please join us. But whether you decide to join us or not, whatever you do, please, please, please don't get lost in heaven. Woo! Dylan and Trevor make hallelujah monkeys. It's the number one girl's podcast to call.
authority. They both love the gorillas, they just adore them. They met in 05 on a fan forum. They started the podcast several years later. There is not another podcast greater, although its greatness is matched only by Patreonkey's Club. Which is just for people who show them Patreon love. They review an album track by track, chosen by someone who gives the monthly cash. Thanks to all the support, their main show is something they can now afford. And Patriarchy's Club is their support. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another meeting of the Patreonkeys Club. I'm your club monarch, Trevor Ickrath. And I'm your club calligrapher who writes out the dinner menus, Dylan Flynn. Before we uh, begin tonight's uh, meeting, I want to apologize for the uh, constant postponement of the Vince Staples swimming lessons. The The clubhouse pool has been closed for renovations for the last couple of weeks, but... <laughs> We, we are working very hard to get it open this weekend, and uh, Mr. Staples will be around to teach everyone how to swim. I, confidentially, we were ready to open the doors. We got into the swimming pool. There was just a huge lake trout swimming around in there. Very gross. Do you have any maybe ideas or possible uh, hypotheses about where that that big fish might have come from? Um, you know what? As, as it stands, uh, I don't have any cohesive theories other than, other than to say that uh, it, 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 must have, it must have something to do with, uh, what's that guy who, the less talented guy who dates Nicki Minaj? <laughs> oh, is that Meek Mill? Yeah, free Meek Mill. It's him. Got it. <laughs> well, hopefully this weekend you and our listeners will get a little big fish theory. Me too. I uh, yeah, I'm excited for that episode. I don't want to. I don't want to tease it too hard, but there's some surprises around the corner. It'll be uh, fun. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait for to to get into today's episode. Uh, if you listened to the last little weird non episode thing that went up, you heard us spin the wheel. We're today reviewing uh, the 2015 Kendrick Lamar full length LP to Pimp a Butterfly, which was submitted by Carmen. Who you heard on our on our live episode? Who you heard in our in our uh, edit piece of people who love the fall? Uh, the got, leader of the followers. The leader of the followers. I remember as she. I remember her like really getting into Kendrick, kind of on and through the Discord, and that being a fun thing to watch happen. You know. Well, this is a great album, so I'm glad she recommended it. I've been stoked to talk about this one with you. It's probably like it might be a top five record of all time for me. You know, it's a little bit heartbreaking. Actually, Trevor, is I remembered the week or weekend that it dropped, you and I having this long conversation about it. Uh, and I remember you in particular being in that state that people are in when like a new favorite album just dropped, you know? Interesting. It's, there's an energy and excitement. And I was like, oh, I should go back and find that. But I found out that I got really paranoid about a year ago and deleted all of my chat histories. Oh, bummer. <laughs> yeah, I would have been so much fun to read like, you know, old Trevor excited about this album having come out, but I remember it was yeah, a big moment. Yeah, back when I was still capable of feeling things. <laughs> this one immediately grabbed you, right? Um. Okay, so like 
what uh, 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 the first time I heard Kendrick Lamar, let me talk. Let me start there. Sure. Was um, his guest appearance on Take Care by Drake. He had that really good kind of solo interlude track all to himself where he like meets Drake in a restaurant and Drake is like kind of a dick, but like kind of like being like respectful to him at the same time. Yeah. And like then like Kendrick dies at the end of the track. Okay. Yeah. See, now I now I'm more familiar with that because I like Kendrick Lamar. But the first time I heard that song, I it like it was weird, right? He was talking about like a Canadian alien and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, it just didn't register as anything like, ooh, here's a guy to watch. It didn't register but that then, way. For me. But then Good Kid Mad City came out like a year later, and I was like, whoa, everyone's talking about this album by that one guy who had that weird solo feature on Take Care. I should listen to this. I didn't even put two and two together. That album, by the way, Good Kid Mad City probably still has like my favorite Kendrick Lamar song on it. And in some ways, I think that. I have a slightly more personal relationship with it than I do this album. A lot of people will tell you that, but I actually never really found myself becoming attached to it to that extent. Like I liked it. I respected it a lot. I thought it had some great songs on it. It was one of my favorite albums of that year. One of my favorite hip hop albums in recent memory, but I, I, it never became like a personal favorite. You sure. know what I mean? That, that makes sense. That makes perfect and, sense. But, but I knew that like, it really did cement for me Kendrick Lamar as like, one of the great new rappers. Yeah, the dude who, like, whatever he does next, I'm there day one. Got to figure out yeah. what, what this dude's up to. Then he put out, like, I as the first single for this one. And I was like, this is okay, I guess. I, it's I, like, th- it took me, like, a few days to warm up to I, but it quickly became one of my favorite Kendrick songs. I love that song deeply. We'll talk about I down the road because I got some, I guess, complex thoughts on it. Sure. But... Um, then the album came out proper and I was like, cool, new Kendrick album. I'm going to listen to it. I gave it like a first run through only kind of half paying attention. And I honestly wasn't really feeling it. But then like later that same night, probably I sat down and like gave it an, like a, my undivided attention, a straight listen front to back. And I was like, whoa, this is like, this is what people were talking about back when Good Kid Mad City dropped. Yeah, and I think that I think that in spite of me having maybe a slightly more like personal emotional relationship with Good Kid Mad City, I think that to the extent that these things can be stated objectively, that's a sentence you like. This yes, it is. This is <laughs> this is the best album Kendrick Lamar has made. To Pimp a Butterfly is the best album Kendrick Lamar has made, and. More than likely ever will make, I think. I think that this might be, like, the best album anyone's made. Like, I think this... You can make a real argument. I think this is a real piece of work we've got on our hands here. I can't think of a single other record that does the things that this record does. No, the things that... I can name things that do what this record does, but they're, like, books and... TV shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he gets a lot in there, just sort of thematically, philosophically, and there's a lot happening in this little hour and however long it is, 20 minutes or so, uh album. And I think here's here's what I think it's kind of become, Trevor, and this is really gonna inform the way that I talk about this album today. Right. Because I have I I since that first weekend with that record. I did the same thing as you did. Like I played it once through. I thought, oh, okay, so there's like some weird funky, but not quite G funk things going on here and, and some jazzy things going on here. 
you know, no, the no, verses didn't really stick out to me on the first listen. It felt like that it like every now and then you get like a big hip hop release where like the, the, the star attraction of it doesn't do a lot of rapping. And it felt like that to me for but some Kendrick reason. But Kendrick does a lot of rapping on the song. But Kendrick does do a lot of rapping <laughs> lot here. Of I don't know why I thought that. I was like, where are the bars? Like, my, where are the verses? My, it's all like weird stuff. The first time I sat down with it, this, just like you sort of later that night with the lyrics page open and like listening with intent, my takeaway. I didn't. I didn't even have the lyrics page open. I like sat. I like laid on my bed in the dark with headphones on. That's that's great. Also, I very my, good experience. My takeaway from it was this is a pretty staggering accomplished piece of work that I that didn't make me feel a lot of stuff that made me kind of it felt it felt very impressive. Uh, but I wasn't like excited about it, kind of. Right. I was just kind of in awe. And then it took it took a while, and I and I really slowly I do I do this album has a big place in my heart. It really does. It's 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 never going to be kind of as immediate as Good Kid is for me. But but I can recognize that not only is it like brilliant, it's also just a really fantastic album. And what's going to inform? Yeah, I like it much more than Good Kid on a musical level as well. I just really. Like, even when you put aside all the philosophy and all the work that Kendrick is doing here, like, these are just good songs. A lot of times the music, the musicality of this record is still something that I kind of respect more than vibe with. But, but that being said, what's going to really inform the way that I talk about this record is that I kind of started to see what's going to happen inevitably, Trevor, is that at the end of 2019, you know, all the critic and and resources are going to be putting up their their top 10 of the decade and this is going to be a dominant album on those lists um of course and and i think that it's already been kind of in our popular culture for a lot of listeners kind of accepted as this album that you have to respect but i think a lot of people are like how i used to be and don't have super close personal relationships with it the, the best... i've heard that story from quite a few people yeah the best analogy I, that that I was able to think of, with help actually from from Shelley, was this was like become it's become like the crime and punishment of hip hop albums for a lot of people. This thing where like what you know about it is that it's a masterpiece, but it seems kind of hard and it seems kind of intimidating. And every time you listen to it, you're like, okay, I like this, but like what's happening here and et cetera, et cetera. So what I really here's the thing though, I really don't think that what's going on on this album, like a lot of it is much more difficult or like hard to get than anything on any of those like classic outcast albums. I think that there is a veneer of, of figurative writing of allegory and parable to this record that if you can just wrap your head around that, it's just as fun and, and immediate as any other great hip hop album. So what I really tried to do here, Trevor is like in the most cliff notesy like cheat sheet way possible just break down a couple of little references and and maybe unpack a couple of little metaphors on a, on a number of these songs because i think if i can just sort of <laughs> explain those that maybe people can have a little bit more fun with this record maybe then the sure. kids can can dance and have fun <laughs> i'm looking for, i'm definitely looking forward to these discussions i've personally never found this a hard album to engage with because i think it does a great job of like even more than meeting you halfway. Like Kendrick really comes out at some points in the album and tells you what's going on, especially towards the end where he just starts kind of 
explaining metaphors. Yeah, I like, well, it's it's deep and it's it's a lot to handle, but it's also accept, accessible, and it does it makes a point to make itself accessible to you. I think. You remember the the postscript of Good Kid, Mad City, a film by Kendrick Lamar, right? Mm-hmm. Where they, I feel like a postscript for. Have you ever? This is a weird question, and I, I'm gonna bet that the answer is no. Have you ever been to a tent revival, uh, like evangelical church service? No, I can't say that I have. I know you were brought up in the Catholic side of things. Uh, yeah. So the the way that sermonizing works in uh, in tent revival evangelicism is that people, you know, they have guest preachers who come and travel from town to town. Um, so you show up in these little towns and nobody knows you. So what you have to do is your sermon gets kind of broken down into these two halves. And you, you, the first half of your sermon is your personal testimony about like, you know, uh, the best ones, the most successful ones are the ones who had really fucked up lives before they were saved, you know? And they tell these like really salacious stories about themselves and how deep and dark it was and how they got saved. And then once they've done that, once they've kind of like, uh, made themselves vulnerable to the to the congregation. Then they start preaching. Then they start, you know, telling people how they can they can make their lives better. That's really how I see this album structured. I see this album as a sermon by Kendrick Lamar, and I see the first half of it as his testimonial, and the second half of it as his preaching. Um, and I f- I think that the the first half of it is a little bit denser to unpack and the second half of it is a little bit more ecumenical or 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 there's more olive branches in the second half in a sense it's a little more straightforward um but i'll but i'll sort of point out when i think he's making the transition away from testimony and into preaching and and we'll see if you agree with me on my on my breakdown of the record totally i i feel like i can already see where it's coming up great um should we do you want to do some adjectives yeah i've got three all right let's hear them are, so, we you doing, know, are, been, are we doing I've alliteration? Doing, alliteration? I am, and I've, I'm up to the fourth letter of the alphabet D. Awesome. Oh, oh, great. Go for it. So I've got dogmatic, because as we've already talked about, this is an album that, you know, is rich with belief, and it oh, wants yeah. to and rules. preach about those beliefs. <laughs> and, and rules, rules too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The next one is dramaturgical, which is a little oh. different than dramatic. Dramatic, this this is a dramatic album. Definitely. Like, um, like... We we mentioned bri- briefly that his uh, album previous to this, Good Kid, Mad City, was billed as like a short film by Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. I've always seen this as like a follow-up to that, but like a much like artsier sequel. Like not right. a, like a short film, but like an off-Broadway kind of piece of avant-garde theater that you might see in like a little like warehouse in Compton or something. Cause there is like a little bit of narrative here, but it's very sparse. It's very there's, sparse. There's nar- it doesn't quite tell a story, but there is a narrative and there's like, we get to see an arc. Yeah. I, uh, I love that but, dramaturgical. But, like, like it's almost like, yeah, you've gone to see the follow up by this, by this young upstart black filmmaker who made this great kind of like do the right thing style movie about Compton. And then you show up and everybody's wearing masks and there's naked people. And you're like, what has this guy done? Exactly. (laughs) And you know, like that was kind of like, that was one of the initial reactions I had to this album to see it like that. And then like, sure enough, he did do like a very small, like kind of tour behind it where like he just played it front to back in these little like art houses so yeah he did like a he did like a handful of festivals and then like and then like 10 dates or something like yeah, that yeah. yeah but dramaturgical has more to do with like the technical aspects of drama 
And I've always seen this as being like a real production and performance. There are like set pieces. There are characters that there's, we meet and talk there's to. Poetry. <laughs> there are yep. There's poetry. There are scenes that play out. There are monologues. It's it's just a real like it's a real piece of audio. Theater, Char- I think. Characters occasionally come in and deliver monologues and then exit. Yep. yep. <laughs> Definitely, I can feel that. And the last one, I, I thought those first two were pretty strong, so I allowed myself a bit of like an indulgent one, just dumbfounding. Oh yeah, that's a gimme. That's a gimme because that's just how this album leaves me dumbfounded. It's hard to if you listen to this paying attention. It's hard not to come away like having any real argument that there's a better living rapper than Kendrick Lamar. Like I I remember distinctly like two moments the first time I really listened to this where I just had to like put my hands over my face and think like oh my god like yeah. how is he doing this and I'm gonna point those out. It's it's a bit brain melting. All right, yeah. I'll do mine. I'll do mine. I kind of touched on all three of mine already, so I don't know if they need a lot of explanation. Um, I got vulnerable. Uh, I got edifying. If you're not familiar with that word, to edify is to like to give moral instruction, essentially, and uh, and funky, funky because I think there's a real. Obviously, you come from Compton, and Compton is is a city that's really, really associated with the sound, especially in the 1990s of of G funk and P funk. Um, and there's a real interesting, almost I don't I don't want to say uh, uh, deconstruction of the G funk sound because that doesn't really do it justice. But every now and then, like there'll be this really wet, watery funk bassline and this certain kind of organ sound when you're like, oh fuck, that's almost a G funk beat, but it's like this really futuristic version of one. You know, you can definitely feel the Dre influence here a lot. He was the yeah. executive producer. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He'll even show up in a minute. So. Yeah. Um, okay. What else do we need to say before we start talking about this record? I think that might be it. I'll just say it's more fun than you're, than you might think it is. It's so fun. It's like going to see a really cool avant-garde play. Definitely. And there's some laughs and there's some, some tears. <laughs> there's a lot of and tears, some, but we'll get into all that. So and there's, some, there's some theories too. There's some theories like, uh, like one by Wesley. Yeah. yeah let's talk about the tracks. Starting with this first song, Wesley's Theory. Okay, really quick, can I get some homework out of the way here? Yep. So you got that little intro delivered by that horn player um, that kind of establishes the, the the album's title metaphor, the the caterpillar cocoon butterfly pimping metaphor when the four corners of this cocoon collide you slip through the cracks hoping that you'll survive gather your wit take a deep look inside are you really who they idolize to pimp a butterfly, butterfly. okay so let me just really quickly break down this metaphor because i think it's it's one of the first things you need to kind of get out of the way to to get into this record um so you got the america's poor and black uh, people, the caterpillars, they're subjected to struggle and violence in their in their in the hood in the ghetto. That's the cocoon. Some of them turn this experience into art and they transcend and become self-actualized. Those are the butterflies. But then that art gets like co-opted by industry and corporate America and the devil in exchange for fame and fortune, and that's the pimping. So that's the that's the basic understanding of the of that pimp a butterfly metaphor, and it and it comes up a lot. Um, the other metaphor that, that comes up really quickly right off the bat in this track is equating sex and love with the pursuit of fame and fortune. Sure. Um, which is something that he does quite a bit on this. Uh, and 
in this one he's talking about uh, uh, you know at first i i loved you now i just want to fuck late nights thinking of you till i get my nut this is a gr the, he's kind of gross on this song right like i think Definitely. something that a lot of people don't talk about is that kendrick lamar is a very very horny boy oh there's like, there's some real he anatomy just, he, wants to, he just wants to fuck all the time like i've once heard it said that like you can't put kendrick lamar in front of a mic and turn it off before he says pussy because he says it on like every single verse he writes so much of the fucking on this album is allegorical fucking <laughs> There's like, like he he talks a lot about literal fucking too. I mean, the entire like inciting incident of Good Kid, Mad City was him trying to get laid. Definitely, definitely. But here, what he's talking about when he's saying like late nights thinking of you until I get my nut and whatnot, he's talking about when before he had success and fame, it was romantic to him. You know, like he yeah. he really pined for this idea that he would rise up and and become this rich, powerful person. And now that he's got it, it's it's transactional. And it's and he's nostalgic about how things used to be. You were my first girlfriend. That part's so good. You it's really was good. my first girlfriend. And I love that little double clap too. But now there's no way back to that, to the way things were. The bridges are burned and and you know, it sucks. It sucks that this thing that he wanted, he gets it and now it's like, ugh, it's a whole more many more problems, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's kind of it. The only other thing is that these verses are kind of the first one is from this perspective of like a of a an a, a upcoming artist who still lives in the hood and all the things, all the dreams and hopes they have. And then the second verse is like really from the perspective of like the devil offering that artist all the things that they want, you know? Yep. And there's there's quite a cast that shows up on this uh on this on this song too. We start off with a sample uh by Boris Gardner. I, I talked about this before on other, but there's something about like the first sounds you hear on a record. Mm -hmm. This is the perfect way to start this album. It's so good. It's just like, here's like, it like is like almost going. It's just like putting the lesson right up front before it's we get to even talk sample, to you. It's the soul sample. He's saying he, the guy singing every N word is a star who will deny that you and I and every N word is a star. It's this like really attention grabbing sentiment that becomes deeper and more interesting the more Kendrick unpacks his themes on this record. It was also used really well in Moonlight. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And then we've got, like you said, that trumpet player, Joseph Leenberg, doing that kind of intro. Right. Kamasi's on this song too, isn't he? I believe so. I know it was produced by Flying Lotus. Right. Along with uh, Soundwave is on this one. Thundercat is here. Thundercat, amazing bassist. If you haven't gotten into Thundercat stuff, you should. George Clinton shows up to sing George a bit Clinton. with Thundercat. And I, I'll tell you one thing. I love Parliament a lot, probably more than most people, but fuck, George Clinton's voice is sounding rough these days, man. Yeah, <laughs> what I really like about his presence here is that it does. It kind of serves this purpose that I think a couple other features here do, where it creates a parallel to another like classic... Um, classic west coast hip-hop album like yeah. like uh doggy style also had some intro work by george clinton that's a, that's that's a that's a good point and there's a few kind of like uh beloved figures of black music who show up and do little cameos like this all of the cameos and like um and the features here feel so timeless can we talk about that definitely like this isn't like good kid mad city where drake is gonna show up to do a verse or like damn where like rihanna is doing a hook this no. is like ev like everybody is either like from like the 90s or they're rapping in a way that sounds like it could be 
on like one of those like old '90s kind of positive albums. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. There's something very intentional about that. I think um, it, it really like it's yeah. I love this that. is a, this song Wesley Theory is built around a very weird chord progression. Have you ever noticed like kind of how weird this chord progression is? This is just uh, a very weird sounding song. Everything about it is odd. Yeah, because there's so much weird texture and weird ad libbing happening. It sounds really chaotic at times. You know, especially because like. Oftentimes, Thundercat's baseline is like very non-repeating. It's this weird rambling baseline. Yeah. Um, a lot of the beats on this album use pretty esoteric, like phrasing and, and instrumentation and, and chord progressions. And I, I don't think it's hard to see why this album kind of failed to produce a big hit, whereas Good Kid, Mad City had a couple, and obviously Damn had some huge hits off of it. This this album didn't produce any hits, but I would say it produced a standard. Oh, I don't disagree with that, and I know which one you're talking about. We'll talk about it. There's, there's definitely a feeling of like this one is a little bit more for the nerds than I yeah. think. Yeah, and I think it was why it was hard for me to get into it on that initial half listen because he comes right out the gate with one of the strangest sounding tracks on the record. Definitely. Um, I don't know if Dr. Dre's voicemail has anything to do with this album. I love it. Do, but what is he? <laughs> Why Yo, is that here, though? It's Dre. Remember yeah. the first time you came out to the house? You said you wanted a spot like mine? But remember, anybody can get it. The hard part is keeping it, motherfucker. <laughs> that's, that's he's, saying that, he's saying that, you know, when you get a lot, people are going to try and take it from you. And that's what Kendrick right, but is that's, saying. But that's, no, it's not. That's yes, not what, no, it isn't. It really it isn't. Is. No, once, the problem is that once you have things, you become paranoid and, and you, you worship your money. And it's 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 not a watch the throne kind of a watch out for the people coming from behind trying to take your shit. No, like, he's it, saying it, watch out from the people above you, making sure you don't get more than they want you to. There's oh, that whole yeah, verse that makes more that sense. Comes that comes afterwards where he says like where he goes into the Uncle Sam bit and, and he says like man. will will Wesley snipes your ass before you're 35. That makes that makes more sense. That yeah. does make a lot more sense. Okay, I forgive Dr. Dre. It does he does fit in with the theme of the song. In okay, fact, thinking okay. about it like that, he really tees up that verse that Kendrick kind of like reprises in uh, All Right later on. He tees it up very well. I never even realized that. Yeah, yeah. I, there's a lot of sort of like songs are often teed up on this song and, and verses are often or yep. on this album and verses are often teed up on this album. I love the tax man coming shrieking at the end of the song, by the way. Yeah. I, I, I can't help but see like anything but like demons delivering those kind of lines. Like this is an album with a lot of demons on it. I think the U S government and the recording industry and Satan are all kind of interchangeable on this record. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. And the idea of the tax man coming is like, it's not necessarily that literally you'll be like Wesley Snipes and they'll fuck you for tax evasion because you're a black celebrity. It's more like the devil collects, you know, he gives you everything, but he comes to collect after Lucy. Yeah, definitely. She, I should say comes to collect. This next track though, has quite a few demons on them and Kendrick has to fight all of them for free. <laughs> Okay, let me break down a couple of metaphors. Um, so you've got the girlfriend character, uh, the angry Darlene Tibbs, who is fantastic. She's a very so underrated feature. What the fuck is really going on? She's the second best thing about this song, in my opinion. She's great. Um, 
so she she in metaphor she's the record industry who's not interested in an artist based on their output but only based on their earning potential you know mm -hmm. in the form of like a gold digging girlfriend essentially sure then let's talk about this dick ain't free okay. uh, which is kendrick's counter he, this he, dick ain't free so he's kind of referencing uh, a chris rock stand-up classic which is about pussy cost money but dick is free mm -hmm. uh what he's really saying here is that he's put a lot into the system, not just himself, but all of the all of the 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 black toiling that went into building this country and making it great. Uh, so what he's saying is he's he's nobody's entitled to his output on anything less than his terms. This dick, as in not only my dick, but me, asshole, this asshole, Kendrick Lamar, I I'm not bought and sold on anything but my own terms, essentially. Uh, that he won't be pimped, essentially. And then also the, the <laughs> I love Darlene Tibbs in that little outro is so good. I'm gonna get my uncle Sam to fuck you up. This you ain't great. no king. <laughs> but so Dylan, good. Dylan, who raps like this? Like, name me another hip hop album that has a performance on it like this. I mean, baby. Like, this, this it's free. It's like him doing like this, like really rapid spoken word performance over like a freeform, like jazz band of devils. It's great. Yeah, I think I think that Kendrick's flow on this song is funny and interesting, but also a little bit annoying to listen to. Uh, I don't know. I think it is. I remember being really amused by this song when the album first dropped. But now it kind of feels like a like a story that I've already heard or something. It's not I mean, really. I, I wouldn't just put it on. <laughs> right, right. I think the best thing about this song, though, is that big choral sting at the beginning. That yeah, yeah, that That's really so feels like the good. curtain coming up, doesn't it? Fucking great. Like like but, Wesley's theory is like the prelude, but this is like the real like. Okay, here's the beginning of the story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love Darlene Tibbs. She's yes. so good. Yeah. She's she's so great. You can just like I need that Brazilian wavy 28 inch you playing. Can't you just visualize all the leopard print that she's wearing? Crazy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. She's the MVP of this song, I think. Yeah, and she finishes it off by telling him he ain't no king, but on this next track he does kind of become a bit of a monarch. King Kunta. I got a bone to pick. Okay, so this is gonna this is gonna make you very annoyed, Trevor. I have I have two parallel top threes for this record. <laughs> I was really hard for me. I have what I I have what I termed a sonic top three and a literary top three. God, I uh, like I that's what I was thinking about doing. Well, <laughs> I'm I'll sorry. let you have that, but I'm gonna do a top five. Is that okay? That's fine. Yeah, cool. that seems All fair. Right. So King Kunta is my Sonic number three. Um, musically, it's my third favorite. Let me just really quickly break down a couple of things. So the title, uh, Kunta Kinte, he's the main character from the book and the classic miniseries Roots. Uh, in this song, he represents racial oppression and the history of it in America. And then, you know, Kendrick, he's wealthy and famous, but he's still black. So he's a king, but he's also a Kunta Kinte. He's King Kunta. He's both oppressed and transcendent. Um, and then let's talk about the yams, the which I yams. think is a, a slightly a slightly esoteric metaphor, but I think I kind of understand it. Um, kind of a reference to uh, things fall apart by um, by Chinua Achebe, I think. Definitely, definitely. Also yep. important to think about the history of yams in sort of black cuisine. Mm -hmm. uh, 
because yams have survived a lot of different permutations of blackness. Like yams were on the, the African table in antiquity. Then they made it all the way over to the new world. They were on the slave table. They were on the, the, the segregation table. And now they're on the current black table. So to me, the yams are, are they're a reference to the authentic self, not necessarily only in good ways, but the yams are the things that you bring from your roots with you into into the future, like for better and for worse. Uh, when when you've got the yams, you're not being fake; you're being who you authentically are. But sometimes that means fucked up stuff. That's how I take it. I I, I like that read a lot. I don't know if the text 100% supports that deep a look into it. I think a lot more literally, the yams just kind of represent power. Yeah, I can I can see that too. And that's I mean, a reference, and that's why I, I bring up the um the things fall, fall apart reference because yams was I think uh, the village that that story centers around. I think it was their main export, and it was kind of their livelihood. So if you had the yams, you had the power. Definitely, it's also the idea of yeah, commodity is currency. Yep. The yam brought too. it out of Richard Pryor, manipulated Bill Clinton <clears throat> with desires. See, both my read also works for both of those. <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. The, you know, the yams are, are kind of a, a, he doesn't necessarily reference them on further songs, but it's it's a metaphor that's like focused on so much on this song that I feel like it, it does kind of carry through the album in a way. I like your um, read of them a lot. That's really, that's really good. This hook is really good. Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is a great hook. I think what prevented this song from becoming a big hit is probably that really straight four on the floor beat. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I I have a bit of a love hate relationship with the beat. Like, it's not one of my favorite things on the album, but there is a lot of cool stuff going on in it. It almost sounds like something Dre would have thrown together for like the Slim Shady LP or something. That doesn't sound. Yeah, I could definitely like, see especially that. Especially when that like <clears throat> guitar comes in. But it's really hard. You know, rap's all about syncopation. So when you have this kind of four on the floor thing, a less talented MC would have really been swallowing a lot of of syllables. Um, trying to wrap around this. Kendrick, I think, mostly makes it work. He definitely has to do some crunching, though. Uh, you know, a lot of, whatever the game, got the whole world talking, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta, it'd be, it'd be really easy to mush mouth over sure. a four on the floor beat like this. Mm -hmm. um, I do think he mostly pulls it off, though. I really love, have you ever really paid attention to those, those great, soft background vocals on the hook? I think they're so good. I think they're, like, very dark and mysterious they're they're like one of my favorite textural elements of the song i really like it i'll have to pay attention to them closer next time honestly though i think sonically my favorite thing about this song is the is the interplay between the sassy lady chorus and the deepened funk man voice if i give you the funk you're gonna take it take it oh Wait, it's so good funk? really Doesn't good it sound so dirty i love yeah. it yeah. i love it by the time you hear the next pop the funk, the funk will be with shall you. be within you. Really good. <laughs> yeah, and Kendrick it. does get a, some really good lines off here. I really love uh, Life Ain't Shit But a Fat Vagina. That's great. Screaming, Annie, are you okay? <laughs> Annie, are you okay? Limo tinted with the gold plates. Just really good. Yeah, uh, I should let you know, Trevor, that for a little while, I had the most uploaded comment on the official Top Dog Entertainment upload of this song on YouTube. Really? You want to hear what it was? Sure. Okay, I screenshot it so I could read it to you. <clears throat> Bitch, where you and I was hopping when I play the game, got the Goombas dropping. King Koopa, everybody want to drop a shell on him. Koopa, life count taking no losses. You, um, you also uh, sent that to me via Facebook Messenger when this album okay. came out. I think, yeah. Uh, 
In fact, that comment was so popular that somebody even recorded a parody of the song called King Koopa and linked it as a comment under that comment. Wow. <laughs> do we want to put a do we want to put a bit of that in here? I I'd have to dig. I could I don't know if I can find it, but if I can find it, I'll I'll drop a little of it in here. Sure, sure. You know I was talking. Now for the game, God over for I'm stuck. King Cooper, everybody pop a blue shell on me. Cooper, one up, taking no losses. Yeah, I, I see what you mean though. There is there is some weird choices on this song. Like it almost feels like based on this hook, this could have been a big hit, but some of the choices probably prevented it from ever catching on on the radio. Like there's a big guitar solo in it. Where when do you hear that in hip hop? Almost never. Maybe on a really bad Lil Wayne album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one though. This is this it is, is good. And then, is and then it, it ends with the beginning of this whole poem. Uh, that's the runner through the record. And I think we should just spoil what's happening here. Sure. I think the best way to understand the poem is You know what? No, under... I don't think we should. I want to save it till the end. Okay. He's uh, then I'll let me, let me see if I can step around it. Then. Okay. <laughs> There's this runner in this album of this poem. We keep hearing it like line by line, getting a we little get further. We get one line at a time. Whenever there's kind of, it's almost like whenever there's a scene change yeah, or a definitely. particularly significant one. And, and it's being delivered to somebody. Um, so right. we start which off with is, the f- which is like really clearly implied by uh, Kendrick's use of like second person pronouns. We start out with the first two lines, which are "I remember you was conflicted, misusing your influence." So I'm going to which... try to break down at least my interpretation of this poem as we move through it. Um, sure. So the person who this poem is about has a very famous interview, and in that interview, that person talked about. Uh, feeling feeling anxious about the power that a that a uh, famous black man has in america and not being sure what to do with it feeling a, a, a heavy responsibility with everything that comes out of your mouth being potentially something that could influence uh a younger version of yourself in the ghetto um so the idea here is you you want to preach positivity but you also want to represent the realities of where you come from, but you don't want to necessarily glorify the seedier parts of that, but it's hard not to make it sound like glorification. And sometimes maybe you do. So there's, it's this idea, like you feel that conflict of having this influence, wanting to use it for good, but wanting to be authentic. That's, With that's great what power I see. comes great responsibility. Exactly. That's what I see much of this poem actually being about. To pimp that. a Spider-Man. <laughs> Is you two gonna do the songs for that musical too? They're friends now. <laughs> they are friends. It's all coming together, baby. Much like on this next song, institutionalized. I really like this one. This one has a really important metaphor that I think also becomes a theme on this record, which is uh, shit don't change till you get up and wash your ass. Sure, that's a great hook. This is very important. I think I think what's being said here it's 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 delivered as a quote from Kendrick's grandma and it's yep. what what's being said here is you can't make the world better until you make yourself better. Um, I really think this is kind of the hypothesis behind this entire album structure where like Kendrick needs to self-purify before he can fix Black America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and the, I, and, I think and, it's I think it's really easy to approach uh this take from the wrong perspective too let's i I wanted i wanted to talk about 
something that's There's almost pretty... a, you could almost take some of this as black conservatism, like Bill Cosby style. Like listen, listen. Bill Cosby was um finally indicted for rape today, right? Yeah, uh, it was yesterday. I think he got uh, guilty on all charges, sexual assault for the second trial. Yeah. So, which, like, I've, I've been reading tons of Bill Cosby stuff in the last, like, 24 hours because of it. And, of course, I saw a pop-up on one of my feeds, his infamous pound cake uh, speech. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. Which is this was this big speech he gave at some award show where he basically, the the, the point of it was him saying, like, we as a black community need to, like, get over talking about racism and stuff. It's not about what the white people are doing to us. It's about what we're not doing. Right, and I think that there's, later on this album, Kendrick will explain how his philosophy is different than that. It's different in a subtle but very big way. Definitely. Uh, but but it's easy from the outside to hear some of the stuff he's saying, and you're like, is he saying race is a social construct? Is he saying that like black on black violence is what we need to focus on? Like, there's definitely that's definitely a, a way to take this record for right. sure. <laughs> but more in this in this case, more than the community at this point anyway. I feel like he's talking more about himself. Like, Ken, if Kendrick wants to preach his gospel, you know, he's got to watch his ass first. He's got to make sure that that he gets through his own demons in a way. Um, don't you think he sounds a little bit like Quasimodo in this intro? A little bit, yeah. What's money got to do with it when I don't know the full definition of a... Yeah. Sometimes I've, I've often seen him compared to uh, the uh, the man from another place in Twin Peaks. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. He, he frequently got into that range on Good Kid, Mad City, and that kind of prevented me from getting attached to quite a few of the vocal oh, performances on that the, one. Oh, I love the I am a sin. I love yeah. that. The yeah. alien voice stuff. Yeah, I like great. his voice a lot more on this record. I love, there's a number of really good beat switches on this record. Yeah. <clears throat> this is maybe my favorite. The one after, master, take the chains off me. Zoom, 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 And it feels like so, that feels there's something so like, classic about that you know definitely even even the flows that he's doing are very snoopy on this song in my opinion and snoop's on this song too yeah uh, like and he shows up with like a classic 90s verse too like this i love this snoop appearance this is to me this has less like ladies and gentlemen snoop dog like snoop ego to it than any guest i've heard him it's do it's crazy in how inconspicuous he is He's great. He's great here. When was the last time you heard like a low key Snoop Dogg feature? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe 2001. I don't know. Yeah. He's great here. And I love, I feel like Kendrick is kind of doing like Kendrick's version of Snoop, especially when he does that little, that little pitch drop where he's like, I'm probably just way too loyal. Yeah. This will do it for you. That little thing's very Snoopy, you know? I'm probably just way too loyal. Really good. I love that. I also love how Bilal, the R&B singer, is playing Kendrick's grandma on this song. That's great. That's very good. <laughs> and he There's does... a lot of cool vocal contributions to this one. There's Bilal, and Anna Wise shows up to do that, if I was the president part. Oh, also great, yeah. yeah. But don't you think that Bilal does kind of pull off a grandmotherly energy on that hook? Totally, yeah. <laughs> it's very good. He, she really knows it. He really does nail it. And so does Snoop when he goes, fuck you, good night, thank you much for your service. Yeah. Uh, but this also has one of the album's like first characters I meet, we think, who is like a, a friend of Kendrick's that he takes to an award show with him. Yeah. Yeah, so he takes a friend to do an award show. His friend's like 
back from Compton. And it's implied that he's like kind of scoping out everybody's like watches and jewelry and stuff, trying to <laughs> see what he can right. get his hands on. And there's a great line where he's like, now, Kendrick, now I know they're your coworkers, but it's going to take a lot for this pistol to go cold turkey. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. <laughs> there is that. That's another theme of like the discomfort of trying to bring elements of your old life into your new and vice versa. And know? that's something that Kendrick is going to work very hard to kind of reconcile as the album goes on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, then after this song, we get the second little snippet of that poem. He gets up to the line. Sometimes I did the same. Obviously he's just, he's just, he's not just calling out whoever this poem is about. He's also talking about himself, making, right. making he's, those choices. He's using, he's using it to reflect on himself as well. Misusing his influence, you know? Mm -hmm. And we see him misuse his influence quite a bit on this next song, These Walls. The literary number two on this record. Nice. This is in my top five, like three or four, probably. Have like you this seen one this is... video? It's really wacky. I don't think I have. I've seen a couple videos for this album, though. I saw the one for All Right. I saw the one for uh, uh, for free. Have you seen that one? That one's really interesting. <laughs> that one's really crazy. Yeah. This one's weird though. It's like it's weirdly slapsticky. Like there, at one point, Kendrick is like freak dancing on a on this lady with a large bottom, and he 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 slams his hips into her so hard that they both fly through a wall. Great. It's, it feels a little bit like a like a Method Man video or something. Um, but this one feels so like like avant-garde theater production like there well we gotta we gotta talk about walls okay. and, and that allegory and what it means in the context of the song so this is really this is like a very dazzling complex double or maybe triple metaphor here um the kind of the narrative of the song is that it's about it's about this woman who's who's horny and is hooking up with this dude but really she misses her baby daddy who's incarcerated right um it's from the perspective of the dude who's hooking up with her uh and the walls are referring both to her vagina and also to this man's prison cell and then also to the the walls that separate us from our from our authentic self and from each other uh and it's also just a it's a real it's a it's a it's a song that's full of like yonic symbols and yonic re references it's very vaginal the song is extremely vaginal totally uh, in this really cool way especially because we got this dick is eight free which is this like this song about cock metaphors and now we get the same thing for vagina metaphors and it's kind of like i don't know man like i know that kendrick is has maybe butted heads with the with the fourth wave feminists now and then but there's something that's very daring about speaking about the vagina in this like super allegorical poetic way like this that doesn't really feel objectifying to me that yeah feels... you don't it's 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 a it's very like poetic it's very artistic very tasteful very respectful and the grander allegory here more so than that that specific instance of this dude uh incarcerated later the the big this out this song has a twist ending can we just oh, talk about it real quick very cool very interesting twist ending yeah so the twist ending is that the the perspective character who's fucking this lady is the friend of the person who was murdered by the incarcerated baby daddy and it's like this oh i thought it was kendrick well the perspective character yeah yeah it is i mean to the to the extent that kendrick is is 
inhabiting a number of characters on this record. Yes. No, I thought I thought this is I thought this was a power fantasy of his in which he uses. Oh, his he does say on a famous rapper so as yeah, a famous I would say rapper the, to yeah. kind of seduce this guy's the mother of this guy's child, who the guy killed who his killed friend. his friend on a track from Good Kid, Mad City. Definitely. And yeah. and the grander allegory at work here, I think, looking at this this situation, this parable, is like, you hear in, in touches of what their relationship was like, the baby daddy and, and the and the woman when he was out of prison and that they treated each other like shit. Mm-hmm. And now she like mourns and misses him. And you also hear like Kendrick feeling a little bit sick with his own choices here. Yeah, so he's there's the, the, it's a there's some guilt going on on this song. Definitely. The the allegory I think here is is like this is about people mistreating each other when it would be so easy to just tear those walls down and just say, "Hey, whatever, you're my brother, you're my sister." I, this is a this is a fucking masterpiece this song it's Trevor. A, I think it's, this song it's is a wild really one. Good. Yeah. <laughs> like like I said it really starts off in that kind of like that avant-garde theater mode with those finger snaps and the, if these walls could talk, if these walls could talk, that's like, so that's such a cool intro that Definitely. The beat comes in. And <laughs> it's just like, like a, the, those moments when the actors are coming up the aisles through exactly. the audience or whatever. It's so easy to picture. <laughs> also best lyric ever written about not wearing a condom. No life jacket. I'm not the God of Nazareth. Oh God. I didn't even what realize a great that. Reference. Okay. So Jesus of course could walk on water so he wouldn't need a life jacket. Kendrick doesn't, Kendrick doesn't wear a life jacket either, but he's not the God of Nazareth. What a great lyric. Yeah. What a great lyric. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then also Anna Wise is a fucking MVP. This her her performance on this song stirs me, dude. That especially that opening uh, section that she sings before the before the real rest, first recitation of the hook. She just wanna just, close her eyes and sway. Oh God, there's so much like very Prince. It's both dreamy but painful, and I love this beat. This beat is also very like dreamy and warm and. Uh, yeah, this is a fucking great song. I love this Anna, song Anna a lot. Wise's performance on this one has actually always reminded me of the dude from Passion Pit. Oh, weird. So whenever I listen to this song, I always picture him in the band kind of in those falsettos. Yeah, I can kind of hear that. That's an interesting connection I never would have made. Yeah. But man, that last verse. Yeah, and he does he puts that really heavy chorus effect on his vocals, yeah. which somehow makes him makes me feel like he's like in my head or something, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? It's it's like that's when we go into his head. It's like I I almost picture that scene playing out as like him like fucking this woman, but like he's kind of disassoci- disassociating while he's doing it, going like, "What are you doing? Like this yeah, is definitely. this is what you're doing with your fame. Like this is misusing you your influence in a yeah. big way." <laughs> and he's like, "What am I doing?" Definitely. But, but, but this was the first like when I gave it that first proper listen. The end of this first verse was the first moment where I just had to go like. Oh my God! That part where yeah. she like and how shucking on a famous rapper, Walls could talk, talk. I was—it's a real face melting moment. This is one of three songs on this album that have twist fucking endings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's—it might even be the weakest twist on the album. Maybe it might be. There's some actually. crazy stuff coming up. Uh, okay, we got some more poem. Yeah. <laughs> now we get up to abusing my power, full of resentment, resentment that turned into a deep depression, found myself screaming in a hotel room. So fame and the choices Kendrick makes 
disappoint and frustrate him. He shirks responsibility. He feels despondent. Yeah, and, and if he is... wrestled, if he wrestled with guilt on the last song, this next track is like the WrestleMania of guilt. And I love using the hotel room as a setting for this because it's kind of per- it's perfect for what I would imagine life in a post fame world to be, where like you're constantly somewhere that doesn't feel like it belongs to you, like you're yep. renting everything, you yeah. know. Like a, a big really recurring good. a big recurring imagery in one of my favorite anime series, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, is like an unfamiliar ceiling, and here it feels like we have a lot of unfamiliar walls. Definitely yeah. not a lot to unpack metaphorically here, but I will. I do want to just look at the phrase "loving you" is complicated because he says it so much on this song. Um, right, on we're you. talking about you. I don't think we've said that yet, but this is a brutal one. It's very hard. So yeah. Loving you is complicated. So this is to me. This is a song about Kendrick really struggling to wash his ass. Uh, to extend that metaphor, mm-hmm. like it's very hard. Uh, if there's something about you that's different that you took shit from, uh, like being queer, being black, being fat, whatever, it's really hard not to internalize hate. It's it's very difficult not to start to hate the things that the world hates about yourself. Um, and I think that's a lot of what we're seeing on this song uh and it feels it does not feel showy to me this to me feels like the really the climax of the testimonial uh sure half of this record i think we see a lot of i think we see a lot of pain here and a lot of like this is almost like the audio equivalent of like self-immolation i think like that i can only like compare some of the like suffering and self-doubt in this song to like moments like jesus struggling in the garden in the bible absolutely like this Uh, is a really powerful moment of like of doubt and a good look at like what it's like to experience these moments at the top because a lot of what kendrick is doing here is rebuking himself for not being the kind of like leader and like hero to his people that he thinks he needs to be and and believing somewhere underneath it that he's a fake yeah that everything he puts forward about himself is is inauthentic mm-hmm. uh the, also the song itself is really divided into these two halves so the yeah. the beat in the first half it, i love the beat in the first half it really remi- reminds me of like rpg boss monster entrance music or something it makes it makes me feel like we're just like being sucked down into kendrick's like subconscious or something there's all those swirling like swirling jazz instruments and stuff it makes me think of a giant kaiju like walking into an arena. <laughs> That's sure. What it makes me think of. Okay. Uh, and and the kaiju's name is like hopelessness or something. Um, God, I I can't wait for you to play Bloodborne. <laughs> it's 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 gonna happen. It yeah. will happen. Watch this space. <laughs> uh, I like that little interlude, the weird effect where it keep the beat keeps like crackling back and forth between the left and right channels and you hear the housekeeper knocking on the door. That's so good. That's like straight out of the wall by Pink Floyd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. totally. Great. Yeah. Oh, like, what a great parallel. Another very dramaturgical album. <laughs> Definitely. But then the second half starts and and everything's changing. So the beat's different. Also in the first half, Kendrick kind of doing this this angry drill sergeant uh, flow, like dressing himself down for all of his, his sins and his flaws. Yeah, in the first one, he's kind of angry, and in the second one, he's more sad. Yeah, and he's he's using his crying flow. Let's talk about Kendrick Lamar's crying flow. Uh, what? How do you feel about this flow? I think this sounds pretty authentic. I, I, I feel like in 
the hands of a less capable artist, this would come off as like really contrived and really fake. But I think he actually does manage to sell it here. Maybe because the subject matter feels so personal and strong. Yes, that yeah. helps. The fact, the like fact he that he goes into this story about how he left a best friend's little brother in Compton, even though he promised to like look after him. And he wasn't there for him during this time when he was in the hospital and he ended up dying in surgery. And all he ever really managed to do was FaceTime him. And you can tell he's really not over it. I and mean, he hasn't that forgiven is, That himself. is something that really weighs on him. That's yeah. what helps, I think. So he is using this flow where his voice is cracking in this way that's meant to like ap approximate uncontrollable sobbing. And uh, I, I think I think I've gone through cycles with this where like the first time I heard this, I thought it was really bold. And then I started to think of it as a, as like verging on a little silly. And then I've come back around to it now. And I thought like, well, you know, rappers often use flows that approximate anger. And they often use flows that like approximate being on drugs. And I don't see why you can't do the same thing for weeping as you but would like for those other things. But like nobody does. You never hear this kind of stuff. No, you, it's you a really, really don't. bold move, especially for such a hyper masculine genre. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like uh, yonic vagina metaphor is followed by uncontrollable sobbing. Are we at Lilith there? <laughs> What's seriously happening? like a great a great to pimp a a great to pimp a butterfly drinking game would just be to like take a drink every time this album does something you've never heard another album do. Definitely, uh, that second verse is harsh, man. It, yeah. it really is. Verse three this... is also tough to get through. That I know your secrets, mood swings is frequent. I know depression is resting on your heart for two reasons. Just that's a really the, that that's... last line's really tough too. About like you know like if we show them what's really under there, they'll know that like having wealth won't stop you from killing yourself. You know? Yeah. Yep. That's a tough place to leave a song. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think, I think this is, like you said, this is the climax. And I think this is the conclusion of the, uh, what was the first part of the, the testimony? The, the testimony. testimony. And yeah. next is where we get to kind of reap the like cathartic results of those, those experiences being shared with us. I think this next song really specifically is just about picking yourself up off the floor when you've been fucking hit by a car like that. Yeah. You know? It's all, yeah. Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> all right this is my uh sonic number one this is my favorite like musically this is my favorite song on the record this is my favorite song on the record all around i think this is a this is this one is just transcends it and it's transcended like even kind of hip-hop as a music genre i think there's almost nothing more hopeful i think than the intro of this song i love the ba, intro of the song ba, ba. yeah and and just the sentiment of like all's my life i has to fight hard times like yeah bad trips like yeah and then and then i'm fucked up homie you fucked up but, but if god's got us then we gonna be all right there's something that's like that's so good, especially coming straight after you, where it's yeah. like, it really feels like what he's saying is, if you're, if you're poor and you're black and you're in a hard community like I came from, and you identify with some of the shit you just heard me say on that last song, I want you to know that I genuinely believe that that God is working through us and will not let us be destroyed. There's something I love about it. It feels, it feels like he's really specifically coming out of that that 
fugue of of you and 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 saying like did you see yourself in that haze then this song's for you and it's about how we can this is gonna work out this is gonna be fine and this is the middle of an album yeah (laughs) we've already descended into the depths of hell and come out alive and we're halfway through an album also, this is the first time he ma- he mentions Nazareth as kind of an analog for Compton, which I really like. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, especially the kind of messianic nature that he takes on towards, like, the rest of this as well. Are you familiar with the bit in Luke where Jesus goes back to Nazareth after he becomes a prophet? I don't think so. It's really funny. He gets run out of town. <laughs> the reason is, is that he stands up in church and he's talking about healing blind people and shit. And people in the church are just like, this is the this is Joseph's kid. I know this fucking guy. <laughs> this guy is in shit. I, this it really made me this metaphor in particular really made me think about that of like I bet it's weird to go back to Compton <laughs> and see all those people they're like, I know who you really are, Kendrick. <laughs> but <laughs> you're he not like the Messiah of hip hop. But I feel like a lot of the second half of this album takes place around him going back to Compton. Like that's well, and also, like the, and also South Africa. We're going to yeah, be going to South we'll, Africa we'll talk for about a lot that, of but yeah, this. Is, this is such an uplifting piece. And there's something about, like, there's something about really positive. I almost, I don't want to say wholesome, but I really do mean wholesome hip hop. That, yeah. like, stirs something in, within you that I think not a lot else is capable I think, of. I think that a lot of times people hear the word wholesome and think that it means, like, positive at the but not even looking at the negative you right. know like but denying like, I think that the negative i see this exists. like I, when i hear this i think of like the best moments from like a tribe called quest and de la soul all those like classic rap groups that were really pushing positive images and i, I like that kendrick is working with a lot of the same emotions and it's great to have pharrell on here it's great think- he's another one of those timeless like Timeless features on this one, and he's like, and he's written a number of very happy songs in his life, including one called "Happy." Sure, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, that really makes him a perfect fit for this one, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. His energy is great, and I love him on here. Just his phrasing, everything's gonna be all right. And that hook has become <laughs> iconic. Like I yeah, remember, this is, this is the standard of this. This, of this, uh, this album kind of came out. I don't know if it was in the wake or right when it was really happening, like when. The Black Lives Matter. It was right when it was really really happening. It was it was like post Trayvon Martin. Yeah, it was right around the time of like I can't breathe and and yeah, all that shit happening. And you would see people protesting in the streets, just like thousands of them, all chanting, "We gonna be all right. We gonna be all right." Yeah, it really became a a battle cry. Um, How do you feel about how the second verse has that little restating of those bars from from Wesley feeling Wesley's theory in it? I like that, especially because this is coming like almost halfway through the album. It it does feel like it's sort of a reminder to help us get back on on not narrative focus, but like meanwhile. <laughs> meanwhile on to Pippa Butterfly. And it also shows us like a it's a it's very similar, but it's also a different kind of take on it because here it's almost like things like our eyes have been cleared and instead of seeing things as we saw them back then, we saw them how they really are. Like before this verse was addressed to like uncle Sam, but here it's really laid clear and here he's directly addressing this character. We're going to get to know a little more on the next song, Lucy, who is like representative of Lucifer, the devil. 
and and I think his flow on verse two is like unreal, unmatched. I can see the evil. I can tell it. I know it's illegal. I don't think about it. I deposit every other zero. Yeah, it's so wild. rapid, so easy to follow. Yeah. Like his his yes. elocution's incredible. Yeah, pet dog, pet dog, pet dog, my dog, that's all. Pick back and chat, I tap the back for y'all. Really good. Raw skill, really great. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even those those uh, pre-hooks are great, too. We've been hurt we, and down yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we hate Poe, Poe. That's great, yeah. Want to kill his dad in the street? For sure. Really good. I really love this outro to the I keep my head oh, that's up great, high, isn't that? I cross my heart and hope to die. It kind of brings back that loving, lo- like, that loving you is complicated line. It does. But here he says, it loving does. me is complicated, and it makes it feel like he's accepted that fact. Like it's no longer, yeah, it's no longer something that leaves him screaming in a hotel room. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a process. It's a process, you know. And I and I'm working my way through it. Definitely, it's complicated, but I'm figuring it out. We get a few lines further in the poem. Now we get to. I didn't want to self destruct. The evils of Lucy was all around me, so I went running for answers. So. The environment of, of like, post-fame uh, living is, is harmful and sinful and toxic. So Kendrick decides to get away from it all and try to find some perspective. First, he reflects on the moment where it all went wrong. <laughs> right. It's time to go to the mall with Satan. In a, in a song called For Sale. As a kind of a parallel to For Free from earlier on the record, this is a song that I texted you about the other night because I think this is about as Trevor Ickrath as songs ever get. Interesting. I was You said there was a very chaotic, evil, very Trevor song on the album, and I wasn't sure which one you meant. This was in like kind of the top like three or four that I was maybe considering you were talking about. But like, explain this to me, please, because I... Love, I love when people talk to me about me. (laughs) Definitely. So this is my literary number three on this record. Interesting. This has never been a big favorite for me. I love this song. And here's what I love about it. This really is and sounds and feels like this love song, but it's being sung by the devil into a soul that he's trapping. (laughs) And it sounds so like dreamy and warm and beautiful like it really makes you want to take you, that deal you, get you. yeah you know there's yeah. i love it it's the, it's the temptation of an innocent but you really feel like how good it could be you know if oh, you I, just take I, I my love, hand i love tempting innocence <laughs> definitely it's a very it's trevor so it's a very trevor move <laughs> so here we got we meet lucy um lucy is the industry lucy is the government lucy is satan the devil herself the devil herself and uh i think this is some of the best instrumentation on this record it's it's the synths this the is organs smooth ass beat the this bass, is a really the flute, nice sounding the one saxophone there's a vibra yeah. slap it's so dreamy i love the ref- the continuity of referencing uh Shireen, who's this character on good kid mad city as this like you said Shireen ain't got nothing on lucy i said you crazy i love it because it's this great shorthand to reference the pre-fame Kendrick Lamar and the things yep. that he valued, you know? Because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. a story about a young Kendrick Lamar. This album is very much a sequel to Good Kid Mad City, I think. And I want to talk about that when we wrap up later on, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's this weird, it's this weird abstract non-narrative sequel to Good Kid Mad City. God, it just sounds so beautiful. I think it's a real feat of writing here that, that like you could let this song wash over you and think that it's a love song if you're not 
really paying a close close attention to it, you know? Uh, and I, I don't know, I think there's something about me that just really likes pitched down vocals, and I love the, I thought you was keeping it gangster. I thought you was keeping it gangster. <laughs> I thought this is what you wanted. wanted. Great. They say if you scared, go to church, but remember, she knows the Bible too. Great. <laughs> really good. This is I love so that good. Line. You said your name was Lucy. I said, where's Ricardo? Very funny. <laughs> really good. <laughs> I love this. And I love the fact that it's called interlude makes it really a wolf in sheep's clothing in a way. Because I feel like it's it's one of the most interesting pieces of writing on this album. But it, but it purports to be almost a skit. And then you're like, oh, wait, this is something totally different than that. I love this. This is great. And it's, it's such a good kind of like if um, if. All right was what took us out of that out of the testimony and into the sermon. This is such a good first part of that. Like, listen, I once encountered the devil. Yeah, I've been there. Definitely. Like, this definitely. is a great place to start that. Like, let me tell you about when I was tempted. And then we get one more little line into that poem when he says, Until I came home. And this this really, I think the the imagery of coming home is so revival, it's so tent revival. And this is really, I think, when Kendrick gives himself permission to start preaching in earnest. Like, now, now that we've seen how deep it got, how dark it got, now that we've picked ourselves up and we've brushed the dust off, now we're ready to hear the word, the gospel as spoken by our new savior, Kendrick Lamar. Um, and we start here on this song, Mama. So he's gone on the run from the evils of Lucy. He talks about coming home. I think at this point he is actually talking about coming to South Africa. Okay. I was going to I was going to ask what you thought home was referring to cuz yeah, I feel in... like there's a point where he goes to South Africa, which is something he did in between Good Kid Mad City and recording this album. That's what which was sometimes apparently you gotta very go on the, run. On the recording. Sometimes you got to run yep. away from the evils and of you Lucy. You got to go back to you got to go back to your roots and see what's important to you. And I think that this is that's the message of Mama. It's about it's to me it's a song about not turning your back on your roots, like especially after you've left and grown and and made mistakes and learned lessons like you need to figure out a way to incorporate the place you came from, whether or not it's like a problematic, scary place, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I, this, I will say though, that this song in general <clears throat> is close to the bottom of the pack here for me. I don't love this yeah, song. Yeah, it's never, never been a big favorite for me. I don't really like the beat that much. I'm not a big on the hook. I do like that second verse. Like I know everything. I know myself. I know morality, spirituality, good and bad health. It sounds like Kendrick has ascended into like full prophet status, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I get a little lost in that third verse when he meets the African kid. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who's saying what in that verse or really what's being communicated in that verse. Um, right. He sees a kid in Africa who looks like him uh, and has some kind of a meaningful interaction with him. And then also there's this like bonus verse after the, this is a world premiere. I like this part a lot. This actually might be my favorite part of the song. I've been looking for you my whole life, an appetite for the feeling I can barely describe where you reside. I really I don't quite understand this. what it means here. Uh, Me neither. It just kind of sounds like him going off a bit, but like, I feel like if I spent a little more time with it and really dug into it, I could get it. It's actually a verse that he added to his performance of I when he did it on Saturday Night Live. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's it's repurposed here on this, or or maybe it was on this, and he decided to throw it on I when he did it on Saturday Night Live. I don't know. I don't know how that worked out. But I, you know, it's always good to hear this is a world premiere. 
Yeah. <laughs> Always good to hear that show up. Uh, the hook sounds a little wrong over the beat to me. That's one of the problems that we've been waiting for you. Yeah. We've been waiting for Yeah, I don't know. But in any case, in any case, I will say in general, the testimony half of this album is my favorite half of this album. Although there are a lot of stone cold motherfucking classics on the preaching half, including this next one, Hood Politics. This is a this is a really cool one. Sonic number two. This to me really nice. really Trevor. This feels like as good Kid Mad City as this album ever gets. Yeah, totally. I would agree with that because this feels like where he's good, where he goes back to Compton. Definitely. Uh, yeah. and, and he's even rapping in character as a younger version of himself for a lot of the song, which yep. is a very mm-hmm. good Kid mm-hmm. Mad City thing. He spent a lot of that album doing that. I, can we talk about this intro real quick first before we get into it? The, this beat is sick. I love this pick beat. Pick up the phone. Every time I call you, it's going to voicemail. Don't tell me they got you on some weirdo rap shit. No <laughs> socks and skinny jeans and shit. <laughs> Call is, me on Shanika's phone. Is this the guy he took to the awards show earlier? It could be. It really feels like it might be. Uh, yeah. Also, the fact of like getting this weird drunk or drugged out phone message is another very good Kid Mad City thing. Totally. There were a lot of phone messages all over that album. <laughs> but yeah, that beat that opens this one up is oh, real sick. Fuck yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. And the beat on the regular song is good too. But that's that beat mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. intro is so good. I really like. Now I'm pretty sure, in addition to that King Koopa thing that you messaged me, you, I, f- I feel like there's a ninety percent chance you messaged me some kind of like half finished Yogi Bear esque parody <laughs> yeah, to this song. Yeah, boo boo. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it might have been a number of things. I think it was like I fell off my tricycle and skid my knee, boo boo. <laughs> yeah. I stole a picnic basket, boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. It's a good hook though. It's that a is great a good hook. hook. Yeah. Well hoes you went to school with? Boo boo. We was in the hood, 14 with the deuce deuce. 14 years later, going hard like we used to on the dead homies. I say on the really dead good. homies any chance I get because of this. Yeah, I like it a lot. That first verse is one of my favorite verses in the entirety of Kendrick's career. There's so many good moments in it. Skip, hop, drip, drop, flip, flop with the white tube sock. That's great. And then uh, came in this game. You stuck your fangs in this game. You wore no chain in this game. You hood your name in this game. Oh, really good. It's actually probably my least favorite verse on the song, though. Oh, I love this I like verse. The, I like it more. I than like the, the other ones, like, even more. Like, the the... Next. The Democrips and Rebloodlicans thing is fine. I just don't like it as much as that first one. Yeah, I, I really like I like when he starts out the next one kind of as his younger self that hopped out the caddy, just got my dick sucked part. Yeah, also good. That's That feels very really back, backseat freestyle in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's that great, like, no condom, they fuck with you. Obama say what it do. Obama which say is what like, it do. Really good. <laughs> I know that, like, Obama, like, the year this came out, like... I think at the end of every year, he would, like, release a list of songs that he was enjoying on, like, Spotify or something. Right, yeah. And, like, uh, I think, like, how much dollar cost was on there. I always wondered, though, what, what did he, he think about this, this line. Yeah, I agree. Because here he's kind of saying, like, look, 
we have a black president, but the American government is still doing a lot to hurt black people. And Obama is now implicit in that. I think the, the overarching message of the song is that the mainstream U.S. political system, you know, ignores black reality and contributes to black oppression across party lines no matter what, you know? Just because the president looks like you doesn't mean he's not fucking you is kind of what's being said here. Uh, I do think that Kendrick referencing his verse from that that control song dates this a little bit. A little a little bit. Um, I see what you mean. I do like I do like that killer mic shout out though. Critics want to mention that they miss when hip hop was rapping. Motherfucker, <laughs> if you did, then Killer Mike would be platinum. That was great. That's great. Because at yeah. that moment in time, like Killer Mike was probably my second favorite rapper, and Kendrick Lamar was my first favorite rapper, and it really did feel like Captain America showed up briefly in this in this Iron Man movie. I was very excited sure. about it. Uh, yeah, I do, do. Do our listeners remember that Control verse, the King of New York? I barely verse? remember that Control verse. Honestly. I remember. Did it. that song ever like come out, or was it like? Scrapped. It was on an EP, and it was the okay. it was like the talk of the blogs and the hip hop yeah, world for... because Kendrick name dropped a lot of other contemporary MCs saying, "I'm going to put you guys to shame." Yeah, and he also said that he was the king of New York, as if to say the talent pool in New York is so pathetic right now that me, a raptor from Compton, is the king of New York hip hop. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he says, "Funny how one verse can fuck up the game," which is something Jay Z also said. I don't remember on what song. I, I've always thought the I've always thought the line like I'm the only one next to Snoop that can push the button like is a little clumsy because like is that something that Snoop does yeah, like is who's it? gonna get really fired up by like a Snoop verse? I mean he did that one where he, where he was like Ice Cube could eat a fat dick. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> I guess that verse fucked up the game. <laughs> sure. Easy, he can eat a big fat dick. dick. My uh, favorite part of that, I think, is that on the same song, he just goes, another platinum hit. <laughs> yeah, really good. Like, yeah, that, that one's really going to sell. But there is, I remember at the time, it felt like that verse was something he needed to address because it was such a big news story. So it felt mm-hmm. like it, he had to check that box. But now, three years later, it's sort of like, I didn't need that. I didn't need that on this yeah. record. It, it makes you go, oh, yeah, control. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Um, okay, we get more poem here, right? We do. So now we get to the lines. I went running for answers until I came home, but that didn't stop survivor's guilt. Going back and forth, trying to convince myself the stripes I earned, or maybe how A1 my foundation was. But all my loved ones was fighting a continuous war back in the city. I was entering a new one. Okay, so going home, whether it's to Compton or to South Africa, makes Kendrick really uncomfortably start to contrast his wealth and his success with the comparative struggle of of the African black man or the the American black man, uh, and and he tries to th- tell himself that he's earned what he has and that he deserves it because he's special in some way, but also he tees up this next song that explains that while the struggles of the hood might be really visceral and be about life and death, uh, he also has struggles. They're just of a different kind, you know. And we see him struggle with them on how much a dollar cost. Literary number one. This is definitely in my top five. This one is, yeah, this one is something. Well, this is the most Christ-like Kendrick gets on the record, right? Because he's working purely in parable to to tell a broader lesson about. Definitely. And we also, I also see this as like a parallel to like 
Christ's like few like momentary lapses that we see in the Bible, like Absolutely. when he gets pissed as hell and trashes the temple. So let's. This is also twist ending number two, and let's just get. Yeah. We well, let's just talk about it because I feel like we need to talk about it to talk about the song. Sure. Th- this song takes place at a gas station. Kendrick pulls up. Uh, to get some gas, gets out of his car, and in he's South Africa. By, he's in South Africa. He's in South Africa, and he's approached by a homeless beggar. And the beggar is asking him for a small amount of money, a dollar, one dollar, saying how much a dollar, how much does a dollar really cost? And he, Kendrick, rebukes him. He sort of cusses him out. He's disgusted by him. And then the he's beggar, like, you're just looking for money for drugs. I've seen all this before, and all, all my stuff is mine. Right. And at the end, the beggar reveals that he was. God in disguise and he was Jesus Christ son of Jehovah and by not giving him a dollar Kendrick has forfeited his spot in heaven basically and the message here is like he's exploring his attachment to material goods and the great toll that it can take on his soul and the refrain of how much does a dollar cost well the idea is that a dollar can't buy you much but if you're covetous and you're not generous it can cost you your seat in the kingdom it can it can cost you your eternal soul damn so it's a it's a very it's a very potent allegory and it, and it looks at this idea of like how little wealth can really get you even though it's mm-hmm. a hard lesson to hear from a rich man but how much it can take away from you um, right and it really speaks to that religious belief that like you know what you do for the least of god's people you do for god i mean for me this is the most effective piece of sermonizing on the album uh, I think I think that this is his sermon on the Mount moment for me anyway, and I know that there's one later that that a lot of people look to as like a really yeah I would say moment. that sermon I would I would say that sermon on the Mountain moment is still coming up, but we're almost there. But this is this is a damn good one. It's quite Christ-like, and and it, and the hook to me gets better every single time James Fauntleroy does it. Like at the first, it seems a little slight, but it becomes this this interesting little crescendo in a bubble of like sunlight and he's the voice of god telling you like what you should value over over this dollar in your pocket you know mm-hmm. can I, we talk about how kendrick is basically rapping over pyramid song by radiohead here it's fucked up and that beat is so it's crashy. so fucking cool that beat it is, is yeah it's very very like, intense all the jazz behind the piano like it's like so plodding and like Relentless, really great, and I Real love good. the choice of grabbing an Isley brother to jump on as the voice of a repentant sinner at the end. Mm-hmm. What a great I choice! I washed my hands. I said, "My grace, what more do you want from me?" So good. Tears of a clown. Love it. Yeah, this is top five for me. Just a real good moment, and like uh, the reveal at the end that uh, that the nerve of Nazareth, and I'll tell you just how much a dollar costs, the price of having a spot in heaven, embrace your loss, I am God. That was the second big, like, face melting, like, just had to put my hands over my mouth and go like, Jesus, how did he just do that? And we're still not done with the twist endings. No. (laughs) But first we gotta talk about skin and the colors that it is on uh, Complexion as Zulu Love. I'm with this. Complexion. Quite an underrated track, I think. I think I like really this good. one a lot. I think this is really good. Uh, so yep. let's let's. I got a couple of things worth breaking down here before we talk about it. So you could read this song as being about race as a social construct and about how this color of your skin doesn't define your value. Uh, kind of both between different ethnicities and also within the black community, the paradigm of light versus dark-skinned black people and their different places in, in the social pecking order. 
He also references the Willie Lynch theory on this song, which is a really interesting thing. So Willie Lynch is this, he was this alleged uh, Virginian plantation owner, slave owner, who was said to have given this like very famous speech, uh, like on the banks of this river in Virginia, explaining that like, the reason that you have all these problems with your slaves running away or trying to overthrow you is because you're using you're using violence as a punitive measure, but really what you need to do is set them against each other and like point out the way that they're different so that they'll fight each other and not you. Um, right. The letter itself is considered to be almost definitely a hoax because of its anachronistic uh, properties or whatever, but it's still this really interesting idea of like, if the slave owner in this if in this equation is the U.S. government, is is Lucy, is the record industry, and the idea that like light skinned and dark skinned black people are are this are different breeds of black people or whatever, it really does make you think like, oh yeah, of course it makes a lot more sense for the rich to have the poor people fight each other over some bullshit, uh, because then they won't just say, oh wait a minute, we're both poor, let's go eat the rich. <laughs> Yeah, and, and quite a bit of the next couple songs are about that concept of Definitely. people in power. Certainly the, certainly these next two are really about keeping that. Keeping people out of power, out of power by pitting them against each other. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's a lyric in the second verse that always gives me chills. It's the one, uh, brown skin, but your eyes, but your blue eyes tell me your mama can't run. That's fucking harsh. Yeesh. That is fucking harsh. I always get yeah. to that lyric and I'm like, oh, God, rough. Yeah, yeah. I don't love this Rhapsody verse though um, really i'm yeah. a big fan of it i think it's great i think it sounds timeless and this rhapsody verse i think connects this uh this song to and this album to another classic west coast hip album ice cube's first record america's most wanted that had a song on it called it's a man's world featuring another female rapper called yo-yo and it just it's like that's a pretty misogynistic album but having Yo-Yo come in at like the 11th hour in there really kind of did a lot to counterbalance that. And I love that Pimp a Butterfly also has a very, it feels like a very crucial 11th hour verse by like a female MC. I love that, 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 that this is something that this record has. It's also, it's also the, it's also the most substantial guest verse on the record. It's the only time really that another rapper takes a full verse on this album. People show up I for I love hooks. that he shouts her out at the beginning too. Like, where's my Rhapsody girl at? Yeah, really good. Yep. And I just, I think her verse is just so positive and like, like I'm, I'm gonna say it again, wholesome. The best thing about it is the message. I do love the message. I love the message. Yeah. I, I guess there's just specific bars on here that like, the writing on this album is kind of so unassailably A plus that there's some references and some bars on here that I'm like a little, uh, yeah, okay. Okay, I guess I, so. I think that's almost charming about this verse, though. I just, I don't know, I like it a lot. I love, like, um, I'm talking days we got school, watching movie screens and spike your self-esteem. The new James Bond gonna be black as me. I love that. There was a moment, Trevor, when I was going up to do stand-up comedy in Houston where this uh, really funny comic, this lady named Nitra, uh, who hosted a shitload of shows and was always really cool and put me on... Uh, Pulled me aside after a show and she's like, hey, listen, I just want to let you know, like, if you're looking to make some money in this game, the light skinned black people really like you. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I mean, they're my people, too, but they like they love you more than they like any other white comic in town right now. I'm like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, the dark skinned black people can't stand you, though. <laughs> So, Trevor, the struggle is real. The struggle sure, is I guess real. So. 
I don't know. I really like this song, though. I think the beat is really good. I think it's like... Oh, I love this beat. It's very warm. This beat is very warm. Really good. It feels so romantic, too. And it really is... It's super important as the kind of love yourself tee up to this next song on the record, too. Black or the Berry. Um, probably a lot of people would consider this to be the climax of the sermonizing, right? A little bit. Yeah, definitely. It's the darkest song on the record, I would say. Definitely one of them. I mean, you is pretty dark too, but this is also where I feel like we're definitely in parable time again, like we were mm-hmm. on, on how much does a dollar cost? So this is about a man who's, this has a twist ending. So can we talk about it or? Sure. Okay. This is about a man who's struggling to balance his love of his own blackness and his, his concept of black pride with his guilt over killing a fellow black man uh, because of gang affiliation. And, and it's presented as this twist ending where he keeps calling himself the biggest hypocrite of, of 2015 um, and explaining his outlook about blackness and positivity and being in your face about your blackness and never apologizing for it. But at the end, he reveals he's this hypocrite because he killed a, a man who's blacker than him. He felt he feels this this ugliness and this guilt about it. Here's where we get a little Cosby-ish, right? Yeah, a little bit. I remember this was a big criticism of this song. When it came out, the twist is, uh, the twist is, do you want to say, or do I, should I? No, go for it. Go for it. Uh, he, he talks about how like, yeah, I love, I, I like, he's like, I try to celebrate black history month and I try and live this way the best I can. But then he says, so why did I weep when Trayvon Martin was in the street? When gang banging makes me kill someone blacker than me. Hypocrite. So the difference I think in what Kendrick's saying and what Bill Cosby is saying is that he's saying the reason why we have to stop shooting each other is that we can't fight them until we stop fighting ourselves. Right. He's, he's saying they're coming for us, right? So yeah. we need to be a united front. <laughs> against... like, like Cosby is saying that we're doing this to ourselves. Yes. And Kendrick is saying we're being manipulated into doing this to ourselves. Yes. And, and there's a very distinct difference. Exactly. Uh, and it, maybe it's it almost subtle. like, it's almost like those memes where it's like, like an X-ray of a small brain and then like an X-ray of like a bigger brain and then an X-ray of like a galaxy. <laughs> oh, brain. Right. Yeah. 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 Where it beca- you becomes more and more enlightened as the, yeah, like the get small dumber. brain is the small brain is the pound ca- cake speech by Bill Cosby. Right, right. And the galaxy brain is like black or the berry by Kendrick. Definitely. I, and I want to look at this other line. It's funny how Zulu and Joza might go to war. Uh, so this is a, specifically a South African reference. So the Zulu nation and the Joza nations are the kind of per- perpetually infighting and also oldest uh, black tribes in South Africa. And some of you guys probably learned about it in school. Obviously, South Africa has a lot of parallels with the United States and that they have this ugly history of, of colonial violence and apartheid. And uh, But one place where it's, where it's like America in a funhouse mirror is that the disparity of wealth and power between whites and blacks in South Africa is even more pronounced. Like white people have all the wealth in South Africa, even though that there's comparatively way fewer of them than there are black people uh, in South isn't Africa. Like, isn't Elon Musk like a white guy from South Africa? Is he? I don't know. I know that he's a I dick, so. and I, I'm annoyed with him usually. 
Yeah, but I don't know if he's a, if he's a white South African. I know that uh, Dave Matthews is, so that shows you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I think it's interesting to look at the Zulu and the Jozo nations as a as a as a sort of blood and crip uh, parallel, because it's the idea of like we have nothing, they have everything. Why are we mm-hmm. shooting each other? <laughs> we should shoot them instead, baby. Or at yeah. least, or at least, we should get ready. We should get ready because they're coming. Essentially, mm-hmm. I um, think this song might have the first um, recurring character of the uh, Patriarchy's Club because Assassin is back. Assassin, who's great. Yeah, from from I'm in it on a uh, Jesus. How you know see the whip left scars pop me back? He's great yep. here, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, I love him on here. Love him. He's great. I'll tell you the one thing though that kind of that kind of doesn't uh, that prevents this song from being like a favorite of mine is that it's three verses and Kendrick kind of just screams all of them. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I, I get what he's doing with his delivery, but it's not particularly like enjoyable to listen to. I think I could have. I could have used the the kind of different approach for each verse that he does on most of this record you know yeah it like, would have been nice if he switched it up a bit definitely um also also i can appreciate that there are two songs on this like three songs on this album and also at least two songs on damn where there's a last verse twist ending like that's yep. that's definitely a hallmark of kendrick lamar's what are the ones on damn there's duckworth or what's the other the one? other one is um uh, uh <sighs> shit I don't remember. Maybe I'm making it we don't up. Have to worry about it. It's fine. I'd have to look at the track list. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but but this is definitely a signature move for this dude, right? Yeah. He likes it. He's good at it too. It's dramatic for sure. It's very. It's very, very dramatic irony. Dramatic. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think Assassin is an MVP here, though. I love him on that hook. I think he's yeah. really good. So, what do you think of this next song? You got a. You ain't got a lie. like it it doesn't quite crack either of my top threes but i really like it uh i to me this is this one's really aimed directly at other rappers in my estimation yeah totally um, it's like saying you don't have to put on this stuff yeah when right when he's he's like saying when rappers are writing to glorify you know violence and crime and vice uh in their art it, it, their art and their personality become inauthentic yeah, you know, say you got the burner stash to impress me. It's all in your head, homie. They don't smell like the yams, Trevor, and and nope. they're misusing their influence. <laughs> <laughs> I this has never been a big favorite of mine, but I gotta say, listening to it for this episode, I really grew to appreciate it. I it's love just, this. I love this. It's hook so quite smooth. A bit. It's so laid back. It's one of the few songs on this album I think that you can just kind of put on and enjoy. You know what I like about this hook is. I think a lot of times when Kendrick sings on his hooks, he likes to like layer a female vocalist behind him or like throw some chorus or some flanger on his voice or whatever. But it's so nice here to hear him just sing it straight by himself. You ain't got a lie to kick it. It's really good. Yeah. He, he sounds really honest and approachable and like he's not really making fun of you. Like he's kind of being sweet and reaching out to you. And I got to say, I like his singing voice. It's it's nice. There is the sense that he's reaching out to you. I think it really sounds like he's giving you permission to be your authentic self here. Really good. And I love yeah. that third burst the, on the couch, in the mouth. I'll be out. Really though. Really good. That little. I really like, I really like the, the second burst of jealousy, complex, emotional, complex, really self-pity, <laughs> complex, under earth, complex. 
Love it. Yeah, and I also like the idea of like rolling your eyes at somebody's affectation by saying we live at the Laugh Factory when they mention your name. Great. <laughs> Also, not quite as much as that little intro beat from Hood Politics, but there's a really sick little background beat that happens like in the live club at the end of the song. Uh, mm-hmm. That's like a little Before throwaway. Before we get to the end, though, I, I gotta say I enjoy any rap song that can work in the word fugazi. Fugazi several times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. Love that. Um. Okay. So here's one of the weirdest choices on this record, right? Yeah. This is in. This is. Maybe like my literary number one, I. He came back just to give you some games. Oh, little boy. Ah. What's happening for you? Come on out. I'd have been through a whole lot. It's very, it's a very like dramatic and stirring moment, the way that I've it's presented never, on here. I've never heard anything like this on any other album before. No. Like, who has done this? Like, like I said, okay, I didn't really vibe with I when it came out. But the version that he put out as a single isn't the version that's on the album. And the version that he put out as a single was a modest hit. It's definitely, if you count I as being from uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, it's definitely the biggest radio hit that this album produced. But it's it's hard to count it because this is just something completely this different. This is something it's a, totally different. It's a faux live performance of the song that halfway through, I'll kind of spoil it, gets shut down by what seems to be a fight in the audience. Yeah, somebody a fight breaks out in the audience and, and Kendrick stops the song. Yeah, he and he like uh he kind of preaches a little bit at the audience and then he goes into this kind of acapella coda which is really very stirring. It's about the N word, like really specifically yeah. about the N word. And that's what that's what feels like the album's real sermon on the mount. Oh, I me. love that. I love that. Yeah. I, I, it's crazy. It's crazy that the only yeah. top forty hit from this album is not on this album. That's crazy. But I like I like this so much better than that song. I mean, I love I love the single eye, but I love this song too. It's got a real energy to it. I, the when you're looking at me, tell me what you yep. see. And that's what that's I think I think a lot of that energy is what's missing from the single version. Like it feels too studio, too clean. This feels great. Like this feels really off the cuff. This feels like how I is supposed to be heard. I like the like, little it's almost like it's almost like the single version is a bit more performative. Like I is a performative song. I love the little authentic like flourishes, the little live performance flourishes. Like when he yep. when he goes he will like drop off the lyrics to say like come to the front or like turn yeah, the yeah, mic. Everybody up. get up the front. Come on. Yeah, it's really good. Really good. And yeah. I like to think that this is actually one take. I think it is one take. Uh and it's a pretty impressive take. Like he does some good technical rapping here. Mm-hmm. Um some just some great lyrics to the devil wanna put me in a bow tie, pray that holy water don't go dry. I is still one of my favorite Kendrick Lamar songs. I think it's a very uplifting and beautiful song and Kendrick even referred to it as like such an important song for him because he likes to think of it in terms of like you have to go through some real self-actualization to grow up in a city like Compton and then write a song like I which I think Mm -hmm. is a a, you know that's that's worth noting it's notable to write a song about like black pride in the individual not as like not you know i love myself as a fucking huge thing to say as a rapper on a big single it's it's a big moment for sure i don't exactly know why he transitions into this little spoken word thing about the n-word i'm not sure why it happens here after he sort of stopped this fight that's broken out 
It just seems like something that would happen at a concert. It feels like an authentic moment, I think. To me, it almost feels like Kendrick Lamar, outside of the narrative of this album, was like, Ugh, there's one more lesson I really want to teach Black America, but I don't have a whole song about it. Oh, here's what I should do. Fuck up my regular, my huge single. <laughs> And then throw this little coda in about this other thing. I think this is so much more interesting and so much more engaging than it would be if it was just I here. It's a a bold move. It's definitely bold. And, like, I think there are some kind of clunky clunky lines within that coda. But I think the delivery and just the fever pitch he reaches by the end and, like, the musical sting they put after that last Kendrick Lamar by far realist Nagus alive, like... That is just where everything feels like we really ascend. So here here he reclaims the N-word by sort of swapping it out for this uh, Abyssonian Ethiopian word, Negus, which was this uh, N-E-G-U-S, which is this... Uh, uh, N-E-G-U-S. This, this regal title that you could have as like a... And royalty, king, Think of it as emperor. being not necessarily the king of a village, but like the king of this section of river, the king of this little mountain range like that's kind of right. what what uh Nikos were which is mm-hmm. i like that idea of saying like you know we're all black kings and we all have the thing that we're the king over there's something very very smart about that idea and obviously the fact that it sounds a lot like the n-word is this kind of bonus thing but i want mm-hmm. to mention i love the little call out to oprah yeah that's very interesting because this album was a big transitionary moment for Oprah's role in in the black community. Oprah's always kind of been like this almost sub-Cosbian conservative uh what are these young black people doing figure, you know? Pull up your pants. Pull yeah. up your pants, stop saying the N-word. That's that's kind yeah. of the broken record she's been on. But lately, it's kind of like the world's gotten so fucked up that she's decided to join <laughs> the right side of the culture war, and she's gotten a lot cooler, and she, like, told Oprah, this— Oprah, welcome to the resistance. She, she told this great story about, uh, about going to see Get Out with Stedman, and, like, like— had her audience howling where she's like, yeah, I went to the premiere and it was all white people and it was really stuffy. And then I went again in Chicago and it was an all black audience and people were like, kill that bitch. And it was so fun. And I'm like, Oh, who's this Oprah? This is a fun Oprah. Very good. (laughs) Really good. I love, I love calling her out here because it's a nice, she's a good name to have in the mix when you're talking about the problematic elements of the N word and hip hop and, and how you're supposed to feel about that. You know? I think there's a great interview uh, between her and Jay-Z where they talk about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, that's a classic one. They kind of almost, uh, they sort of like respectfully disagree at the end, but in yeah, this really yeah. interesting way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Speaking of the meaning of, of two large personalities, should we talk about Mortal Man? <laughs> final track on the album um so this is an interesting and somewhat complicated song uh there's kind of two pieces of business being handled on this one is that kendrick is like examining the people in his life and his fan base for loyalty and expressing how how much it weighs on him and how seriously he takes his job of like trying to use his art to put positive messages out into his community and worrying about his status as a role model and how he could fail. And then also like wondering who would turn his back on him if, if he fucked up, either if, if he was like 
destroyed by the by Lucy and, and the industry and, and framed as a horrible person or because he's a mortal man if he made a shitty choice like you know how would that change the way he's received and the way his messages are received it's a very interesting place to leave things here it's almost like we yep. we go back inward we go back into Kendrick here after after he's been addressing his community for the last mm -hmm. half of the record very interesting it's almost like him taking a look at himself and the songs that he's just performed saying like I've come far, I've won a lot of battles, but there's still a very long road ahead of me, and I'm really gonna have to keep my nose to the ground if I wanna keep fighting this this fight. And he repeatedly references Nelson Mandela as like this personal model of, of yeah. who he wants to be. Want you to, lovely, want you to love me like Nelson, yeah. And it, and it makes, Nelson Mandela makes a lot of sense as like the aspirational figure of Kendrick Lamar. Like one of his famous quotes, of course, is, uh, is resentment is like drinking poison and hoping it'll kill your enemy, which could have easily been like a lyric on, on any of these songs, you know? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. I definitely see Mandela. And also what's interesting is that he makes some references to how Mandela's wife waited 25 years for him while he was in prison, which harkens back to these walls and this woman who who isn't waiting for her man, you know? And he's wondering, like, would my woman wait for me if I was in, in the clink? It's a very interesting, ponderous way to leave this record. I think it's very cool. This has never been one of my favorite songs on the album, though. I do like the horns on that hook. When shit hit the fan, is you still a fan? What do you think about that part um, at the end where he goes, is it Moses? Is it Huey Newton or Detroit Red? Is it Martin Luther, JFK, Shooter, you assassin? Is it Jackie? Is it Jesse? Oh, I know. It's Michael Jackson. Oh! Um, like, I I don't love that. I think that's kind of clumsy. And then he even, he even doubles down on it. He's like, he gave us Billie Jean. You say he touched those kids? Like, it just feels, it really takes me out of it. It is weird. It's a weird choice, yeah. right? Yeah. If this, if one of the major themes of this record, Trevor, is, is about a powerful, a powerful ambassador of cool blackness feeling, feeling the weight of how important his words are, should we take this moment to talk about Kanye West for a second? Yeah, I guess so, because I mean... Jeez, April 25th, 2018 is a day that will go down in Twitter infamy. I mean, hip-hop infamy and, and maybe, yeah. maybe black American society infamy, you know? It was, a, it was a real pound cake speech of its own. Sure. You know? Uh, yeah, just Kanye going off on Twitter literally all day about his love for Donald Trump. Love of Donald Trump and, and all of— His respect for prominent members of, like, the hard-right right community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, trying to understand this album over the while this was all happening it all felt very connected of like definitely kanye's this dude who's really failed that acid test of of not understanding the implication of of your words and what you put out into the community you know there's young men who are going to get fucking red pilled because of what kanye west is doing on twitter mm -hmm. i think you put it best when you said he was off his lexapro and on the red pill yeah <laughs> It is a bummer, but it, but it, this album was really making me think about it in those terms, in, in the mm -hmm. terms of like, dude, you're a fucking leader. Like, I know you're crazy, and we all know you're crazy, and, and you're unpredictable. You're still a leader. Like, yeah, did you see that text uh, John Legend sent to him? No. Just saying like, look, dude, you're, you're the greatest artist of our generation, and your voice has power. You really should rethink aligning yourself with these people. You shouldn't let this be part of your legacy. 
And Kanye sent him a text back and he posted this on Twitter, sent him a text back saying like, you bringing up my fans and stuff is like just you trying to manipulate me. And you're like the thought police. Bummer, man. It's really, it's just some really ugly stuff going on that you don't like thinking about. And then like even Chance the Rapper chimed in with like uh, that black people black don't, people have, to don't be have to be Democrats right. like comment. Just like, sheesh. Weird lines being drawn, really weird lines. Like, come being on, drawn. dude! Didn't your dad work for Obama? Like, yeah, but then he was fucking talking about how Obama did nothing for the black community, and like, yeah. he's he's deep in it, man. He's really yeah. deep in it. And and I know you and I both have different wild theories about what might be going on with Kanye West. I don't know if this is the time or place to talk about him. But <laughs> sure, sure. Maybe yeah. when we do Pablo in season two of yeah. the Patriarchy's Club, that's we could really. T- that's the place to talk about that. But it really did make me think about like. If if we're to buy into Kendrick Lamar's like vision of what of what the most influential black entertainers what weight is resting on their shoulders, like boy, it just adds another level of gut punch to this shit that's going mm-hmm. on with Kanye West right now. Yeah. Um speaking of of leaders of black society, <laughs> the the big twist, right? The twist ending to the actual record. Kendrick finally wraps up the poem he's been delivering throughout the entire record. And we learned who he's been telling it to. Uh, can I, can I go real quickly? Just finish the poem up then. Yeah. So where we left off was, uh, uh, I was fighting a war of my own or whatever. And then he goes, a war that was based on apartheid and, and discrimination. Made me want to go back to the city and tell the homies what I learned. The word was respect just because you wore a different gang color than mine doesn't mean I can't respect you as a black man. Forgetting all the pain and hurt we caused each other in these streets. If I respect you, we unify and stop the enemy from killing us. But I don't know. I'm, a, I'm no mortal man. Maybe I'm just another N-word. So then he presents this poem as like a food for thought uh, conversation starter. To that he thought the person he's talking to would kind of resonate with. And the person he's I mean, talking it's, to. It's revealed who he's talking to when this person starts speaking. It's none other than rap legend Tupac back from the grave. Yeah, Tupac Shakur resurrected for one more guest appearance. People, people, won't, let him, people won't let him stay down. No, it's between true. Between Coachella and Kendrick. And they had this long, interesting dialogue with each other that's really about, it's, it's talking about like, hating the oppressor but maybe feeling like you might also be one because of all the mm-hmm, wealth and mm-hmm. power that you have now as a, as a successful man about some like metaphors he used in his work like the ground and tupac talks about how the ground is going to open up and swallow the evil yeah the ground is the poor and the rich are yep. so fat and delicious that that the ground is going to eat them he's uh, really quite tickled by that idea too yeah he loves it quite a bit eat the rich yeah. really really uh really <laughs> but they also seem to disagree a little bit about the role of like violence in the revolution you know mm-hmm. tupac seems to believe that there's that there's there's a real reckoning coming of of black men getting tired of looting during the riots and instead of killing uh and yeah, Kendrick, what does he say he says he's thinks people are tired of grabbing shit out the stores and next time there's a riot it's going to be like uh bloodshed yeah and and kendrick kind of goes hmm like he's not sure if he if he agrees you know yeah yeah uh but they have this interesting uh this interesting dialogue and then he finishes it with this other poem and he says that a friend of mine wrote it but it seems like he wrote it doesn't it right right yeah but it's interesting it makes you think about what the origins of this really is so it, it really unpacks in full the caterpillar cocoon butterfly pimp metaphor 
this uh and i love honestly trevor one of the best things about this album is that last line the last line is uh although the butterfly and caterpillar are completely different they are one and the same the reason that's so amazing what's the first what are the first words you hear on this record Every inward is a star. It's the same idea. Yeah. It's the idea that in black America, every prisoner is a king and every king is a prisoner. You know, the caterpillar and the butterfly are the same person. They're both oppressed. They're both glorious. Every inward is a star. It's a, it's what a fucking amazing place to end this, this record. God, I get chills thinking about it. It's so good. It's a, it's a really great conclusion. I don't love this song mortal man that much. But this has to be probably one of my favorite parts of the album. It's Just very special. To sit down with Pac at the end, yeah. It's very special, and this really album is great. very special. <laughs> it's a really special piece of work. I encourage everybody to check it out. I hope this did, like, a little to enlighten people who might have had trouble with it before. That's my goal. My goal in this was to be, like, maybe if we could, <laughs> maybe if we could we, like, cut our way through some of the academia, you can have some funky times underneath all of that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, but it, go out. Just, I, I recommend everybody go out and and do at least one more listen to this record with all of this shit in mind, and just kind of try to let it wash over you in in that context. I think it's a really special piece of work. It's such a special special piece of work, and I think it really belongs like in a hollowed place, along with like stuff like I don't know the Bible. Like it just feels like a tent pole of like human art. Like yeah, yeah. I think something something that it has in common with um, Good Kid, Mad City. And I keep saying it's a good follow-up to it. I think they're both, um, they're both uh, what are referred to as, like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but Bildungsromans. Oh, which yeah, are yeah, 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 yeah. Co- coming-of-age stories that tell stories of formation and education and just kind of becoming something better than you were. I think Good Kid, Mad City is like a story of a boy becoming a man, but To Pimp a Butterfly is a story about a man becoming a messiah. Definitely. And it's sold in a way where you really buy into it. And in, like in this not Kanye Westian self-aggrandizing way. In this like It really made me think of Kendrick less as an artist and more as like a modern day prophet. Definitely. Like putting out like philosophy and ways of life and it makes it feel less like an album and more just like like a body of work and like a release from like a thinker. I really hope that in the next season of this this bonus podcast that somebody submits either of the other two major Kendrick releases because I think it would be really interesting to dive into either of them with you. Um, totally. You know, I, Damn is an album that I that I have some respect for, but but it is like not necessarily my thing. But how do you follow this up? You know, I think. I never really got attached to Damn too much, but I think it was a very respectable follow-up to this album. I remember when this came out thinking like, what is he going to do next? Where do you go from To Pimp a Butterfly? Yeah, definitely. He has set the bar so unbelievably high. And I think instead he did something really small and specific and weird and cool. I think it, definitely. Damn, and it turned out to be one of his most successful projects like of all time. He won the Pulitzer for it. Oh, it's got to be it's got to be Lucy's favorite Kendrick Lamar album. Definitely. <laughs> all the money it made. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, I'm looking at it right now, uh Trevor, via your Skype webcam. I see I see the great wheel of of albums sitting next to you in your apartment. 
Oh, I don't want to touch it. I know it's it's it looks rough. Why did we why did we just hammer random nails into it that just jut out and shit? That's so yeah, weird. They went all the way in like and out the other side, so it's just very spiky. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I guess, spin it though. All right. I guess you gotta. I guess you gotta put hands on that fucking thing and and give it a roll. All right, here we go. Ah, I got a splinter. Oh Jesus! Oh, it's slowing down. It's slowing down. Okay, <laughs> Trevor. The the next time the Patriarchies Club reconvenes, it will be in order to uh, to review an album submitted to us by listener Insomnia. That album is called Quebec, and it is by Ween. Ween the boy. We're gonna Gene get into Dean. Ween. I can't wait to talk about Ween. They're a very fun band. What a treat! Following the yep. great lineage of fake sibling bands. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And this is actually one of the couple of Ween albums that I haven't heard. I have a decent amount of experience with the group. I've listened to them for quite some time, but I've never checked out this one out. And I'm looking and forward to doing it. I know it's it. one that Ween fans always say, like, "Oh, you got to get into the band." Okay, you should start with one of these, and they always they always list that as one of them. So. Interesting. Cool. Uh, very excited to, to talk about Ween with you in a month. That'll be great. Um, yep. This this series, Trevor. I I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I think the Patriarchies Club is some of the best work we're doing right now in the podcasting world. <laughs> it helps that we've been recommended such fantastic albums by our listener base. Yeah, even the ones where I was like, I don't know how that's going to turn out. Like the Aquabats, that was great. <laughs> That was a landmark <laughs> performance from us, I think. What a great episode. And uh, and I hope that, that people enjoyed this little uh, uh, exploration of, of To Pimp a Butterfly. Maybe, maybe the most important album of our lifetimes, we'll see. Yes, we will. Until next time, until the Patriarchies Club reconvenes, uh, I have been Dylan Flynn. And I have been Trevor Ickrath. Thanks for your money. Dollars. Mushrooms made the dogs die a Even made bullet bills freedom flyers. More stars until he gets to my stage. His doom, I was concentrated, spitting my rage. Just to end up in the lava, man, he making me insane. Peach out, you knew I was stuck. Now I play the game, God, all for I'm stuck. King Cooper, everybody pop a blue shell on me. Cooper, one up, taking no losses. Peach out, you know I was stuck. Now I play the game, God, all for I'm stuck. King Cooper, everybody pop a blue shell on me.